Hey there, how's it going? That is your muscle building coach, Lee Hayward, and I'm doing a live video Q&A on the Total Fitness Bodybuilding YouTube channel. Now, this is something that I don't do very often. In fact, uh, I've done it in the past. Uh, this is a long time ago, but it's something that I would like to get into doing more frequently. Uh, so earlier today, I actually attempted <laughs> to do a live video chat. Uh, but had some issues with the camera, had some issues with getting the setup working. So hopefully it's coming through loud and clear right now. And I would appreciate for those of you who are watching this live right now, if you could post in the comment section and just let me know if it's coming through loud and clear. And you can also feel free to post any questions that you would like to uh, have covered with regards to training, nutrition, uh, anything that you're you know, having challenges with, with regards to building muscle, losing fat, those type of things, I mean, I'm going to hang out here for the next 20 minutes or a half hour thereabouts, and I'd be happy to help you out in any way that I can with answering those questions. So again, this is kind of like an initial test run for the live uh, YouTube uh, video Q&A, and if this one goes well, which I hope it does, then I look forward to doing more of these live video chats. So I had a couple questions. Uh, that people sent in earlier today when I when I initially tried to get this up and running and it didn't go very well for me. But I'm going to answer those questions right now. And again, for those of you watching live, if there's anything that you would like to discuss, please feel free to post it on our video chat right there. Okay, let's see what we got here. This one was a question uh, posted by Jeffrey. And he's asking my opinion on the arm blaster. He said, are they a poor man's version of a preacher curl bench? And you've probably seen these around. Um, this is it's kind of a unique training thing. It's a bicep tool. And it's, it's a metal plate that literally fits across your torso. And it has a curved angle on it that rests behind your elbow. So you're doing this very strict curling variation with the arm blaster. If you're not familiar with it, just go to Google and search for like arm blaster bicep curls and you'll probably see it. Uh, I actually have one of these. I, I have it and I quite honestly, I don't use it that much. Uh, it's not that there's nothing wrong with it. It's just uh, I find it's kind of not really necessary. Uh, I find if you do a strict curl um, by yourself, uh, I can get a good you know, strict isolated bicep workout. But if you want to change things up and just add some variety to your bicep workouts, there's nothing wrong with using them. It is kind of like a preacher uh, curl in a way because it does have that uh, isolated strict movement, meaning that you can't swing your elbows while you're doing your curls. That's what it's like. It's kind of like this brace that you rest your elbows on while doing a standing curl. So again, it's just another variation. And again, you can change up your bicep workouts with it. But you know, if, if you're training in a home gym and you're kind of like on a budget and probably looking for the best types of equipment to get, I, I certainly wouldn't consider it a must-have. It's kind of like a bit of icing on the cake, if you will. It's just one of those optional tools, but certainly not uh, an essential or critical, you know, tool to have in your workout arsenal. All right, let's see what other questions we had. Another one. Uh, this one was from Stogie, and he had some questions about macronutrients, and he said he wanted to know what is more important, simply meeting the macros for the day or the quality of the macros, meaning your protein, carbs, and fat? What is the most important? And both have a, a significant impact on your overall nutrition. But uh, I, I like to 
focus on obviously meeting the, the requirements that you need for your ideal grams of protein, your ideal grams of carbs and fat, but the quality of those sources has a big impact as well. And for example, when it comes to protein, uh, most uh, solid animal-based proteins, that's what I kind of try and base my protein intake around, like lean meat, lean chicken, fish, eggs, uh, you know, protein supplements, that kind of stuff would be the, the fundamentals that I try to make the majority of my protein intake up. Now, of course, you're going to get other uh, sources of protein there uh, through vegetables and trace amounts of protein that you get through your carbohydrate foods, and that's fine as well. I mean, that all still counts towards your daily totals, but I like to focus on the quality. Uh, the big one that you're going to find is quality when it comes to carbohydrates because there's a lot of food out there, and not necessarily good food, that can be a source of carbohydrate. So for example, I mean, you can get, uh, you know, meet your macros with carbs, but meet it with junk food carbs, meaning sweets and processed carbs, you know, like simple sugars, uh, junk food, that kind of stuff. And you can still meet your daily totals, but the quality isn't there. You know, when you get processed foods, uh, oftentimes they're stripped of their nutritional value, uh, stripped of a lot of the fiber, and they just don't have the same, you know, effect on your body. And you'll find this. I mean, if, if you eat, if you're eating the same calories and the same number of carbohydrates from good quality natural food sources versus processed food sources, you're going to feel the difference. You're, you're going to have, you know, the the energy crash if you're eating the processed foods, uh, you're going to have sustained uh, quality energy if you're eating the natural unprocessed foods. So you definitely want to focus on that. Uh, same with your fat. Fat is a big one. A lot of people have misunderstandings when it comes to fat in the diet, but it does play a critical role, but the quality of that fat is very important. And when I look for quality, I'm talking about uh, natural unprocessed food sources, uh, especially trying to meet your intake of omega-3 fatty acids. This is the one that is very, uh, very often neglected in most people's diets. So when it comes to uh, good quality fats, you want to look for things like flaxseed oil, uh, fish oil. These are some of the most concentrated sources of omega-3s. Uh, chia seeds, uh, hemp oil, hemp hearts, things like that. Uh, basically, you can go online and do a search for like good sources of omega-3s, and that's what you really want to focus on uh, including in your diet, because chances are you're getting enough of the other fats, especially like omega-6s, uh, but the omega-3s are the one that's severely lacking in most people's diet, and we need to bump up the intake of those. And uh, one of my favorite sources, I mean, again, I, I like to eat uh, fatty fish on a regular basis, trout, salmon, um, herring things like that, uh, mackerel, another good uh, fatty uh, fish. Any of these oily fish, they, and I know it's an acquired taste. Some people don't like fish, and then, of course, if you don't, you can make uh, fish oil supplements. Uh, but oily fish is one of the best sources of omega-3s. And then if you're looking for the plant-based sources, again, the, uh, the flaxseed oil is one of the best sources. And it's, it's easy to consume. I mean, you can buy the bottle of flaxseed, and you can mix it in. Uh, with with your food. I mean, I wouldn't recommend cooking with it, but mixing it in with food afterwards, or you can literally just, you know, pour up a teaspoon of it and, and swallow it down just like you would a, a spoonful of medicine. I mean, same way. I very often do that as well, like if I want to top up my intake of omega-3s. So again, 
As far as your macros are concerned, both the quantity and the quality are important, and you need to focus on both for optimal nutrition. Now, if you'd like some more information about this, I've put together a uh, bodybuilding nutrition uh, made simple report, and that's available right on my website, leehayward.com. So if you want to go check that out, just head on over there, and uh, there on the sidebar, you'll see a link to a bodybuilding nutrition made simple, and it covers uh, the basis of this kind of stuff, you know, the basis of how to set up a good bodybuilding diet plan to help you with your muscle building and fat loss goals. All right, so those were a couple of questions. Oh, there was one more came through. Uh, this one was from Keith. He sent me this one earlier. And he says, Lee, I strained my brachioradialis while doing hammer curls. He said, I was pyramiding down from 60s to 50s to 40s to 30s. Uh, what would you suggest to help recovery, or do you have a video already where you've covered this? Thanks for your help, Keith. Uh, so the brachioradialis, that is a muscle in the forearm. And this kind of like attaches the bicep to the forearm, and that gets heavily worked when you do a hammer curl. In fact, you can kind of see it right there. It's that, that meaty part of the forearm, this, this top portion of the forearm. And, of course, it's, it is a relatively small muscle. And if you are doing heavy curls, uh, heavy rows, anything like that, you can risk pulling or straining that muscle. Anytime you strain a muscle, uh, the, the best thing that you can do is simply rest and give it time to heal. Uh, there's really not a lot of the, <laughs> there's no magic s secret that you can do to like instantly, boom, snap your fingers and have that muscle healed back to normal. So you really need to just let it rest and recover. But what I would recommend is instead of doing absolutely nothing and just, you know, taking it easy and, and just sitting on the couch while you're resting and recovering, uh, do some active recovery. So when it comes to the, the brachioradialis, you can do uh, some curls just with the weight of your arms, like literally just going through the motion with your arm, feeling that muscle stretch and lightly contract under the weight of your arm. Uh, you can even, uh, you know, just do some different types of curl variations, you know, practice supinating your hand up and down and just move the muscle with very light resistance and do this frequently throughout the day. And what you'll find is just that light general movement uh, will help to increase blood flow, help to increase circulation, help to stretch out that uh, pulled muscle, and also help to break up any scar tissue. Now that's assuming that it's just a minor pull. If you actually tore the muscle, then that's something different. And if it was a torn muscle, then I'd recommend that you go check with your family doctor and, and get it examined to see if, if uh, you know, it's more serious and requires surgery or something like that. But more often than not, it's just a minor pull. And how you can tell if it's a torn muscle or just a pulled muscle is if it's torn, there's going to be some discoloration. There's going to be some bruising. It's going to turn purple. And you may even feel that the, the muscle is deformed. Like sometimes if you tear a muscle, it actually, uh, some of the fibers detach. And that's what causes the bruising and discoloration. You actually torn fibers and torn blood vessels. Uh, but the muscle may actually even roll up. And, you know, you'll, you'll feel a, a deformation. In, in your arm and if that's the case then you should check with uh, your doctor just to see if, if it's a serious you know tear and if it needs surgery or whatever I mean, that's that's something for for medical advice but again just a minor pull just taking it easy uh, doing some light movements uh, even like curling like a water bottle 
something very light, just to give you some very mild resistance and doing high repetitions. You know, shoot for like 100 total repetitions per day with either the weight of your arms or just curling like a water bottle or something like that to give movement and blood flow and circulation to that area and it will help speed up the recovery. Now, as far as how long it's gonna take, again, that depends on the degree of the muscle pull. It might heal up within a week or two. It might take longer. But obviously, you want you to want you to listen to your body when you're working around an injury, and don't try and push it too much too soon. One of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to recover from an injury is as soon as they start to feel a little bit better, they jump back into their old training routine and end up re-injuring the body part that they've previously injured. Uh, so. You want to pace yourself, and when you get back to training arms again, don't try and jump into the weights that you were using. I mean, in Keith's message there, he said he was using 60-pound dumbbells. I mean, that's pretty darn heavy for a dumbbell bicep curl. So I wouldn't recommend going anywhere near that. I mean, after you let yourself rest and recover and you feel that you're, you're on the mend, I mean, start off curling 10-pound dumbbells, 15-pound dumbbells, 20, and work your way up very slowly and gradually and then eventually, over the course of several weeks, you can build yourself back up to doing you know, your, your heavy dumbbell curls like you were before. But don't try and jump into it too much too soon, because that's when you can risk re-injuring a previously uh, pulled or, or strained muscle. And a lot of times, if you re-injure it the second time around, you can make the injury much worse than it was initially. So you want to be patient, listen to your body, and uh, you know, just, just take it slow and steady. That's the main thing. Now, the cool thing about it is you can work other body parts while you're letting that injured area recover. So, I mean, if, if your brachioradialis is at a commission, you can still do other exercises. I mean, you can do training for your legs, for your core. Uh, you might be able to do some isolation work for your chest or shoulders, as long as it doesn't strain your arm to a great degree. Experiment with different types of machine exercises and just do your best to work around that area. Of course, you can do uh, cardio and things like that to keep yourself active, but avoid overstraining the injured area. And again, that the same type of advice, this, this stuff could apply regardless of where you've injured yourself. I mean, you, the same principles apply. All right, so those are the questions that came through. Uh, now, I'm trying to find out where questions are coming through live on video chat. Uh, it says right here, we've got 30 plus viewers. And I don't see a single question or comment being posted. And I kind of find that hard to believe. <laughs> so and for those of you who are tuned in live, uh, I encourage you to uh, post your questions, comments, or feedback, or even just say, hey, thumbs up. I can hear you. I can see you. Just let me know if this live stream is coming through loud and clear. Again, this is my initial uh, test of doing a live streaming event on YouTube. Normally I just do pre-recorded videos and that's what you see, you know, 99% of the videos on my channel are all pre-recorded and uploaded. But this one is live in real time. So I'm trying to figure out where those darn comments are coming to. I had this issue earlier today when I was doing a uh, pre-recorded, oh, okay. second note. There we go. I had this issue earlier today where I was uh, set up the live video chat, got going, but I couldn't see if there was any comments coming through. All right, um, so I'm just going to 
look around and see if I can find that. So just bear with me a second here, guys. I'll just mute my speakers here so I don't get double audio coming through here. All right, I'm actually on the video page itself, and I don't see any comments coming through there. Again, I am a newbie when it comes to, uh, okay, there we go, the live chat stream. See, this is where I ran into problems before, because I'm streaming this through Google Hangouts, yet Google Hangouts doesn't offer, there's a group chat section on Google Hangouts, but it is totally blank, meaning there's nobody talking in there. So that's where I got confused earlier today, and if you were watching earlier today when I uh, tried this out, I do apologize because I was kind of like staring off into the abyss there, into the blank screen, wondering what the heck am I doing? Just like a deer in the headlights. But I'm figuring it out. So it's posted. Just open up this other window here in the live chat section. Okay. Okay. So we got Jeep joining us. It says check. 68 Stang says loud and clear. Bricktop. Yeah, buddy, I hear you. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Uh, Jesse Urban's joining us. It says, squat press machine as a substitute for traditional squats. So they use the squat press machine after shoulder surgery because the bar causes me a lot of pain and discomfort on my shoulders. Uh, squat press machine. Uh, there's actually a, a squat machine at the gym that I train at locally. And uh, I, I guess it's, it's kind of similar to a hack squat machine, but it, it offers more versatility because... Uh, there's there's different places where you can position yourself under the pads, and you can actually do squats either facing with your your back to the machine like a traditional hack squat, or you can turn around and face uh, forward face the machine. And I've actually experimented with that the other day when I was at the gym, and those machines are pretty darn good. I mean, I don't know the particular brand or model of squat press machine that you have, but it's certainly a good alternative to a traditional squat. And I, I find myself hack squats and some of these squat machines are actually harder than a barbell squat. I mean, in that I sometimes uh, I can't use as much weight using a hack squat machine as I can with a regular barbell squat. I just find, I guess, the position or whatever just makes it feel uh, more strict or isolated, I guess. But uh, it's certainly a good al alternative to regular squats. Uh, another one that you might want to look into as well, if if you can, if you have available, is the safety squat bar. Uh, again, they have one of these at the gym that I train at. It's a Platinum Fitness in CBS, which is in Newfoundland. If, if anybody, if anybody happens to be in Newfoundland sometime and you want to join me for a workout, just message me up, and I, you know I'll be willing to do that. I know I'm kind of compared to the majority of my followers, like Newfoundland is way off into the North Atlantic, but I have from occasion had people join me for a workout. If people are traveling or whatever and they want to stop by, I got no problem meeting up with followers and doing a workout with you. But um, the gym that I train at, it's a really good spot because they it's, it's a lifter's gym and they provide a lot of different unique equipment. And one of the, the pieces of equipment that I like is the safety squat bar. And if you're not familiar with this, just go to Google and do a search for it, safety squat bar, and you'll see what it is. But it has pads that come across your shoulders, and you hold the handles in the front. So rather than holding the barbell out wide, you're holding the, the squat bar uh, handles right up in front of your body. And it's actually a very comfortable on the shoulders, I find. 
and it kind of throws the weight further forward, so it does change the mechanics of the squat, but it's an easier position for your shoulders. So that's another alternative for people who find regular squats hard on the shoulders. If you have access to a safety squat bar, uh, that could be another good squat alternative. All right, let's see what else we got. M. Stevens is joining us. Uh, says, how much cardio should you do if you're trying to lose fat and how many times per week? That really depends on the individual, depends on you know, your body type and your, your overall fitness routine and everything else. But I'll kind of share some general guidelines. If you are following a regular weight training program as part of your normal year-long training routine, uh, then adding in extra cardio can be a great addition to help speed up fat loss. And I'll just use an analogy of like a, a bodybuilder who is going through, say, like off-season training and then switches over to pre-contest fat loss training. A lot of times in the off-season, bodybuilders will focus heavily on weight training. Cardio is kind of done in moderation, maybe three sessions a week, just to maintain cardiovascular fitness and endurance. But it's not a priority. It's kind of just a, a, an extra add-on to the weight training workouts. Weight training takes priority. Cardio is just like a supplement. When it comes time for fat loss, it's good to bump up the cardio. Now, you still want to keep consistent with the weight training and everything else uh, because that's what's going to build and stimulate muscle growth. And while you're training for fat loss, it can even help you to uh, maintain the muscle you have so that you don't lose muscle while you're losing fat. But uh, bumping up the cardio is a great way to um, increase your overall calorie expenditure and, of course, tap into burning stored body fat for fuel. Uh, I'm a big fan of lower-intensity cardio workouts, uh, especially done with high-intensity weight training workouts. Uh, I know the, the trend these days seems to be like, you know, do your high-intensity cardio, you know, because you're going to burn more calories, burn more fat, etc. But the thing you need to realize is, if your workout consists of more than just cardio, then you need to balance it out. So high-intensity weight training to build and stimulate muscle growth supplemented with lower-intensity cardio, which could be walking, jogging, cycling, cardio machines at the gym, anything like that, uh, is a great way to combine both because the lower-intensity cardio is not going to stress out your central nervous system or take away from your recovery the same as high-intensity cardio will. I mean, we only have so much recovery ability. So if you're busting your ass in the gym with high-intensity weight training and then following that up, busting your butt with high-intensity cardio, it's like burning the candle at both ends. So you may not fully recover and may end up you know, overtraining and burning yourself out. So that's why I like to have that the contrast, high-intensity weight training, low-intensity cardio, which is a good form of active recovery plus uh, you know, speeding up fat loss. As far as how much, uh, I like to do cardio on a daily basis, especially when training for fat loss. So I will try to do some form of cardio every day. Uh, it might be just getting outside, going for a walk. It could be doing cardio machines at the gym. Uh, it could be getting on my bicycle and going for a ride. Whatever. I mean, I, I try to do some form of cardio every single day when training for fat loss. Now, you don't need to get you know hung up on it. I mean, if you miss a day here and there, it's no big deal. Just pick it up and continue on the next day. But try to do uh, every day when, when your main goal is fat loss. And I would recommend at least a half an hour per session or more. So that's, that's my opinion on cardio. That's what I try to do myself when I'm training for fat loss. And I find it works really well. Um, 
But again, the, the key to fat loss, I mean, obviously you can have your weight training and your cardio in check, but you have to follow that up with diet. If the diet's not in check, then, uh, you know, you can be doing on weight training and cardio and still not making the progress that you want. So you need to have all three elements, the weight training, cardio, and the diet in place in order to move yourself in the right direction towards fat loss. All right. I have Bricktop joining us. He says, what's the best way to engage the lats? Mine aren't growing anymore. One of the best tips that I can give anyone for back training, i.e. lat training, is to uh, lighten up the load and focus on squeezing the muscles as you do your exercises. A lot of people get into the habit of, of training too heavy, using momentum, swinging the weight up. Uh, but when it comes to back training, you'll find that you'll get a better isolation, a better contraction, and more... Uh, I guess, activation in the lats. If you slow down your tempo a little bit, lighten up the load, and really focus on squeezing your lats with each repetition. So feel the muscle squeeze, feel them stretch, go through that full range of motion, and really over-exaggerate it. Over-exaggerate the contraction, over-exaggerate the stretch, and really try and get that mind-muscle connection. And once you get that mind-muscle connection, then you can gradually start increasing your weights with your back exercises. But don't do it to the point where you're increasing the weight and you lose that mind-muscle connection. I mean, there are certain movements out there where you can train heavy and push yourself and not really focus on the mind-muscle connection and still make good progress. And I'll give you an example of certain exercises like that, like deadlifts. You know, you can pretty much, as long as you're using good overall mechanics, you don't necessarily need to think of working your back or working, you know, the, the individual muscles because just the matter of doing the exercise with proper form is going to engage all those muscles. Squats is another example. You know, you don't really need to think, oh, I want to focus on my, my legs when doing squats because just going through the mechanics of squatting will work your legs uh, during the exercise. But when it comes to the back, especially the lats, you can go through the motions with some exercises and not really get a good contraction in the lats. Like with rows, for example, if, if you just go through the motions and you're using like momentum or, or cheating or swinging or anything like that, you can do the exercise without actually getting a good contraction in the lats. So it's one of those moves where you need to slow down the tempo again, really focus on squeezing and contracting the muscles with each repetition and only increase the weight when you can maintain that that mind-muscle connection and that activation in the muscles. So the lightening up your back workouts and will probably be the single best thing you can do to get more muscle activation. And another thing I'd recommend is increase the volume because uh, higher volume tends to help you with getting that mind-muscle activation or mind-muscle connection, sorry. Uh, so higher repetitions, at least 10 or more reps per set and just higher sets, you know, it's like, let's just say, for example, you're doing three sets of 10 is your, your, your normal average for your workouts. Probably try bumping that up to four sets of, you know, 12 to 15 for your back exercises. And just that little bit of extra volume, that little bit of extra time under tension should help to increase the, the mind-muscle connection and give you more muscle activation in the lats. Okay. Nathan Gross. It's got a kind of question. Uh, how big are your arms and chest? I have no idea. I've never measured them in the in a while. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm guessing my arms are probably close to 17. I really don't know. Maybe even a bit less than that now. The biggest they ever were was 18 inches and that's when i was bulked up to a 240 pound fatty <laughs> back in my quote-unquote powerlifting days uh, it was the biggest and strongest i ever was but i had a bit of extra chunk on uh, around the middle as well and, and if you go to my website you can see some of those pictures uh, my my bulked up fat days i'm purposely trying to trim down now um, that's something I've been really focusing on. Like, ideally, I'd like to be a lean 200 pounds. That would be a comfortable body weight. And uh, I'm not really focusing on, on bodybuilding in its pure sense anymore. I just want to be uh, fit, lean, agile, and athletic. And that's what I want to focus on mostly. And I'm telling you from personal experience that, I mean, bodybuilding and powerlifting and all that is, is cool and I love it. But when you bulk up for the sake of just putting on mass, it it can be a bit uncomfortable for day-to-day -day tasks. And like it does hinder your endurance and your work capacity and, and things like that. And I have another hobby of mine that I'm very passionate about lately as well, and that is uh, car racing. I mean, I, I, I do autocross racing and uh, rally racing. And having extra body weight doesn't necessarily help when it comes to racing. I mean, you look at guys who are serious into racing. I mean, they're doing things to their car to reduce weight. You know, they're putting on light parts, like, for example, like a carbon fiber hood or carbon fiber roof or stripping out uh, internal parts that are unnecessary uh, to make the car lighter. Well, another thing that can make the car lighter is the weight of the driver sitting in the car. So uh, keeping my weight down can also help to you know, trim some of the weight off as well. So that's why I would like to stay into around a lean 200 pounds, maybe even a little bit less than 200, you know, in the 190 range, somewhere like that. That's my ideal goal. Uh, right now, I'm kind of hovering just in the low 200s, and I've trimmed that down over the winter. I mean, back last fall, I was up around 220, and over the last, you know, over the winter and stuff like that in spring, I've trimmed myself down gradually to around in the low 200 range and I wouldn't mind trimming off another 10 pounds or so just to be lean athletic and healthy that's my main goal I mean obviously I'm still training and pushing myself in the gym but training for the size for the sake of just raw size isn't my main priority at this stage all right math magician is joining us and he says how much protein should I take if I want to bulk up uh, that's a good question. Um, what I would recommend, a good, the good general guideline that most people follow is the one gram per pound of body weight per day. And I know that's been used and overused since the beginning of bodybuilding literature. I mean, that whole one gram per pound of body weight thing. But it does work. I mean, that is a good general guideline for people who want to bulk up. Uh, what I would recommend uh, with your macros for bulking up, try and shoot for somewhere around a third of each. So, I mean, a third of your calories from protein, a third of your calories from carbs, and a third of your calories from fat. Try and have an equal balance right across the board. And I find that this is the best overall ratio for making mass gains. Uh, you'll make better quality mass gains. I know some people tend to go overboard with carbohydrates when they're bulking up, and that may work for some people depending on your body type and your insulin sensitivity, 
but I find that you can actually make leaner gains if you try and keep an even split between the macros. So a third protein, third carbs, third fat, and make sure that you're in a, a caloric surplus. I mean, if you, if you do that, along with consistent weight training, progressive overload and all that, then you should be moving yourself in the right direction towards uh, building some muscular body weight. Uh, if you want some more help with this, I have a report on my website called The Three Keys to Building Muscle. And uh, this covers a training and nutrition program. And there's also a sample diet plan in there that will help you with uh, a bulk up program. So if you want, just head on over to my website, leehayward.com, and download The Three Keys to Building Muscle. And I'd say that's a good overall guideline that you can follow to help move yourself in the right direction. Uh, to, to do, let's see. Uh, math magician says calorie counting seems a bit tedious to me. It is tedious, but uh, the cool thing about it, um, if, if you're new to bodybuilding nutrition, I recommend tracking your calories, tracking your macros, writing it all down. Uh, you can do it old school with pen and paper. I mean, that's that's the way I like to do it, but I know these days there's all kinds of apps that you can log and track your food intake with. Uh, My Fitness Pal is a popular one, and then there's several others. But uh, I recommend initially counting your calories and tracking your macros and writing it all down so that you understand nutrition. You understand what are good sources of protein, good sources of carbohydrates. You get an idea of of how many grams of protein, how many grams of carbs, how many grams of fat are in different foods. And even if you just did it for a couple weeks, you know, just to kind of get that benchmark, uh, what you'll find is after a couple weeks, a lot of your meals and a lot of the food choices are similar from meal to meal. And you'll kind of start to instinctively learn what good sources of protein are and like how much protein is in an average chicken breast, for example, you know, how much protein are, is in an egg, how much protein is, is in whatever, and how many grams of carbs are in, you know, uh, an, an average size potato and how much, how many grams of carbs are in a cup of rice, all this kind of stuff. If you just do it for, for a few weeks, then it, it kind of, you start to learn it and you become familiar with it. And then the process gets easier. And what you'll find is once you get into a set eating mode, you don't have to be as super strict with counting calories. Instead, you can just monitor your portion sizes and, and your meals. And as long as you're consistent with your meals and consistent with your portions, uh, that can move you in the right direction. And that's kind of um, where I am right now. Like I, I don't count and track every single calorie and write it all down. but just the fact that I've been doing this for so long, I have a ballpark idea of where I am in terms of my calories and, and macros and everything else based on just my meals and portion sizes. And then if you want to change that, meaning you want to gain weight, you want to lose weight, uh, then you can manipulate your portion sizes and your meals accordingly. So it, it's a good educational tool. I mean, you, you will learn so much about nutrition by taking the time to count calories, count macros and all that. But it's, it's not something that you have to do for the rest of your life. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that if you want to do it. I know some people who are so uh, meticulous with the numbers that they literally track every single meal. And they've been doing so for months or years on end. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing it. I mean, if you want to, hey, be my guest. Go for it. But if, if you find it's, it's a tedious and a chore and you don't want to do that, then it's, it's only a short-term thing. 
like I say, do it for a few weeks to get a good base understanding of nutrition, and then you can kind of just be a bit more instinctive about it and, and monitor your portions and your meals and without actually having to crunch and weigh and measure and calculate every single food and morsel that you put in your mouth. So it's, you know, it, it is tedious. I agree with you, but it, it is very educational in the process. So commit to three weeks. Count, count your calories for three weeks, and then, uh, you know, you can kind of go by your portions and meal sizes there afterwards, and you probably still be able to move yourself in the right direction towards your fitness goals. Uh, Pluto Tracks is joining us. He says, why do so many bodybuilders do G GFP? There no, sorry, G -F G4P. Also, do you think the physical standard of objective level of attractiveness will increase or decrease in the G -F G4P scene with me? I'm, I'm not even familiar with that. I'm, I'm going to Google search this. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> Never mind. G4P, gay for pay. Um, I'm not even going to answer that. That's something that I have no. <laughs> that, that's none of my business what somebody wants to do in their own spare time if they want to. Uh, gay for pay or whatever they want to do. Uh, why do so many bodybuilders do it? I'd say the reason why they do it is because it's a, probably an easy source of income. But um, obviously I don't do it. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, how do you feel about IF, which I'm, means intermittent fasting? And I'm actually a big fan of intermittent fasting. And I've experimented with it in different forms over the years. And uh, over the past winter and spring, I've actually dove into intermittent fasting quite a bit. And if you remember a few minutes ago on the video chat, I mentioned how I was trimming down over the fall and, and over the winter and over the spring. And that's how I did it was through intermittent fasting. And the thing I like about it is it's... It's an easy way to diet without feeling like you're dieting. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, obviously, if, if you're going to cut back on your calories and get into a caloric deficit for fat loss, you have two ways of going about it. You either eat less food per meal or you eat less meals. Uh, when I sit down to eat a meal, I'm not a big fan of leaving the table hungry. And, you know, I've, I've done that plenty of times, especially when, uh, you know, training for bodybuilding competitions and following the typical uh, frequent meal bodybuilding program. Obviously, you have to eat very small, frequent meals. And I, I was never a fan of that because I found when I eat a meal, it kind of stimulated my appetite. And then having to stop that meal after eating like 500 calories or something, it was like, it was, it was frustrating. I mean, I, I eat this little meal get my appetite all worked up and everything else and then like oh I gotta stop and I found it very frustrating and so what I used to do in the past when getting ready for bodybuilding shows I've experimented with instead of eating smaller meals I would just eat fewer meals and gradually cut it back so like let's so say a off season I was eating an average of five meals a day 
and I started dieting for competition, I cut it back to four. Then eventually I cut it back to three. And I found that that was an easy way for me to uh, cut calories and thus help to trim down. But over the past, uh, you know, several weeks, or actually, you know, even, even going back further than that, probably even the past few months, uh, I've been pretty strict with the whole intermittent fasting thing. And my general guideline now is I want to fast for a minimum of 12 hours per day. So over a 24-hour period, my minimum is a 12-hour fast. And very often, I'll go longer than that. I mean, I have, in some cases, gone a full 24 hours uh, without eating. Uh, but generally speaking, it's somewhere in that, you know, fasting for somewhere around 14 to 16 hours during a day. That's typically what I will do. Now, I'm not super strict on it. I mean, like, if, if uh, you know, we want to go out for, for brunch or something like that someday, then I'm not going to say no to the family. You know, we're not, like, we just had Father's Day. And, I mean, obviously, we went out for Father's Day brunch. You know, so I wasn't going to say, no, I'm intermittent fasting. I'm not allowed to eat brunch. I mean, I'm, I'm not that stupid strict with it. I mean, I'll manipulate things, or if we want to go out for breakfast or something like that occasionally, then, hey, I'll do that. But most of the days, uh, I'm going to stick to my guideline of intermittent fasting. And basically, it just means uh, skipping breakfast, skipping lunch, and usually waiting till, till dinner time to eat. And... Uh, not only is it super convenient because you know you don't have to waste your time eating and preparing food all day long you can just like jump into your work or chores or whatever it is you have to do but i find that have once you get into the the fasting mode i'm not hungry i find that i'm more focused i have more energy and it, it's a lot easier uh, one of the, the drawbacks to these frequent small meals is it's frustrating because I'd eat a little bit, stimulate my appetite, and then having to stop before I was fully satisfied. Uh, I mean, I kind of almost related to, uh, you know, imagine having sex and having, you know, going through the process of foreplay and building yourself up, but not allowing yourself to finish and feel satisfied. So having these frequent small meals, it was like, a little bit of a little bit of teasing, a little bit of stimulation, but I was never allowed to satisfy myself. I was never allowed to eat until I felt comfortably full. But with intermittent fasting, I'm not eating as often, but when I do eat, I eat until I'm comfortably full. So I get the satisfaction from the meal. And that makes a big difference. And I find as long as you can have one or two meals a day where you eat until you're comfortably full, it doesn't feel like you're dieting even though your overall caloric intake is low and you can definitely be in a caloric deficit uh, because you're eating until you're satisfied at those one or two meals or whatever it is, uh, it doesn't feel like you're dieting and it's actually very enjoyable. So I'll, I'll probably you know make more videos about it and actually you know, kind of go into a, a sample day eating and all that kind of stuff. But there, uh, there's a lot of information about intermittent fasting online already. I mean, I'm just kind of going to be regurgitating a lot of the stuff that's already out there, but I can share my personal opinions and feedback on it. But uh, overall, I find it very beneficial. Now, it's, it's not for everybody. I'll admit that. I mean, if you're trying to bulk up and, and gain muscular body weight, I would not recommend intermittent fasting. You know, the more frequent uh, meals would be a much better way to bulk up and pack on weight. But if your goal is either fat loss or maintenance, you just want to maintain a, a lean physique, then intermittent fasting is a good tool for doing that. Uh, another thing, uh, if, if you're younger, like teenagers who are uh, you know, in their growing phases, I wouldn't recommend intermittent fasting. 
Um, diabetics, you know, I wouldn't recommend intermittent fasting, at least not without doctor supervision. Um, anybody like like special situations, like if for, for a woman who's pregnant or, or who's breastfeeding or anything like that, obviously I wouldn't recommend intermittent fasting. But for uh, people who are mature, uh, you know, and who have a bit of extra fat that they want to lose, then it is a, an alternative they can look into. And it's something that I've been doing a lot of, and I really do enjoy it. So again, I'll, I'll probably make some more videos about it in the future, but uh, it, it is definitely a worthwhile tool. I'm not saying it's the only way to lose fat, because you know there, there's lots of different ways to go about it. But this is one that I really enjoy, and I find it, I find it easy, because I, like I said, it's, I can lose fat without feeling deprived or without feeling like I'm on a diet. All right, Nathan's asking, is the earth flat? I don't know, my man, you'll have to find out for yourself. <laughs> One tall man, that's, yeah, that's his username, says, uh, Hi Lee, I trained shoulders three days ago and my traps are still very sore. Uh, does it mean I haven't consumed enough protein or does it mean I haven't had enough sleep for recovery? Uh, if, if you're still sore, it just means you have delayed onset muscle soreness. It doesn't necessarily mean you're not eating enough protein or not getting enough sleep. I mean, sometimes if you do a new workout, new exercise, and, and just stimulate some, you know, unique muscle stimulation, you can have that delayed onset muscle soreness for days. And it, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're nutritionally deprived or sleep deprived. It just means that you've, you've trained those muscles and you've broken down the muscle tissue and it needs more time to recover. Uh, generally, the way soreness works is people who are deconditioned, out of shape, will get experience the most soreness. And then, generally speaking, the better shape you get in, the less muscle soreness you're going to experience. Now, it doesn't mean that you're never going to get sore. I mean, you can still be a, an advanced lifter and train consistently and all that and still experience soreness from time to time, especially if you do something different. So you say you trained your shoulders three days ago. Well, if you did some different shoulder exercises that you're not used to, or you train your shoulders extra hard with you know more volume, uh, you know, or some sort of different workout that is out of the norm for you, then that can stimulate uh, some unique muscle stimulation and just cause more muscle breakdown, which then in turn will cause you know a longer recovery process. But what you'll find is if you continue to do the same type of training over and over again, then each time you do it the soreness will become less and less. And eventually you'll get to the point where you're probably not getting any soreness after the workout. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you're not making progress. You can still make progress without getting sore, but just realize that uh, you know sometimes you'll get that delayed onset muscle soreness and it takes a while to recover. Uh, some tips that I have for you when it comes to healing up muscle soreness, uh, light workouts, you know, where you're just doing some light, easy movement, uh, things like sh for the shoulders, it could be like arm circles, um, different types of stretching for your shoulders. Uh, also, hot and cold water therapy is another good one to help speed up, uh, you know, heal up muscle soreness. And for this, all you have to do is alternate hot and cold showers. So when you're getting your shower, uh, flip the water to as hot as you can comfortably stand and have the water hitting your shoulders for a minute or two and then flip it to cold and have the water hitting your shoulders for a minute or two with the cold and just alternate back and forth between hot and cold. And what this does is it actually helps to speed up blood flow and circulation. 
because the hot water will flush blood to the surface of the skin, the cold water will pull blood to the core, and by doing so, you're actually circulating blood flow, uh, circulating lymph, and just helping to aid with the recovery process without physically doing anything. And uh, this hot and cold water therapy works really well for muscle soreness. I mean, any type of muscle soreness. And, and there's different ways to go in about it. I mean, you could do hot and cold showers. That's something that pretty much everybody has access to. But you could also do like a hot tub, cold shower, uh, hot sauna, cold shower, hot tub, swimming pool. Any type of hot and cold therapy that you can do back to back uh, will, will really help speed up uh, recovery. Okay, we got a ton of questions coming through here. Obviously, there's no way I'm going to uh, answer them all. I'm just going to skim through them really quick, and like I said, I'll probably take one more question and clue it up for the evening. Uh, okay, scrolling through. Uh, e M pup e I can't like one E M pup puppy like one <laughs> I, I might be mispronouncing your name here obviously it's a YouTube username uh, but he says uh, Lee is YouTube and online coaching your main job or hobby slash side job uh, it's it's one of my main jobs I mean this is obviously what I do most of the time but in addition to all my online stuff. I also own and manage uh, several rental properties uh, here in Newfoundland and uh, that's what I do as well. So that's what I do in the real world, uh, own and manage rental properties and in the virtual world, the online stuff. So it's, it's probably like 50-50 split for me. Okay. Okay. All right, here's a question. I'm going to answer this one, and then I'm going to clue it up. So, again, I know there's a ton of questions coming through here, but I'm just going to answer this one more question. Uh, C.O. Oliveira Ventura says, what's your opinion about high versus low volume training? This is a good one because... Depending on who you listen to and when you listen to them, you're going to hear mixed opinions about high volume versus low volume, or some people refer to it as high intensity versus high volume. And the truth of the matter is both styles of training have benefits, and you can literally cycle back and forth between them and reap results. Uh, the way the body works when it comes to stimulating muscle growth is it it adapts and responds best to unique muscle stimulation. So let's just say, for example, you take someone who's brand new, never worked out before. Anything that they do consistently at that stage will produce results because it's all brand new muscle stimulation. So that's why you'll have people you know, reporting all kinds of results from all kinds of different workout programs because for a beginner, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it consistently. So, I mean, it could be a total body workout, it could be a bodybuilding split, it could be high volume, low volume, anything. As long as it's done consistently, done in a progressive overload fashion, it will produce results. 
eventually what's going to happen is your body is going to adapt and plateau to that workout. And it doesn't matter what workout it is. Every workout will go through that pro process of and your, your body will adapt to it. It will grow in response to that workout. And then eventually your gains are going to slow down and you're going to hit a plateau. And that means you're going to be doing the same thing that you were doing all along, but it's just not producing the same level of results that it once did. Once that happens, you find that your results are flatlined. You know, you're not seeing the strength gains like you used to. You're not getting the same um, muscle stimulation or the same pump or the, just to feel like you're making the same progress as you used to. That's a cue that you should change it up. Now, you can change up the exercises. You can change up the set and rep patterns. You can change up the volume and the intensity. I mean, there's a lot of different variables that you can change, but you need to change something. So let's just say, for example, that you were doing a typical, you know, beginner's workout program, you know, a three days a week, total body workout, very basic. And you went through the process, you've adapted, you've grown, and then eventually hit a plateau. Well, you can spur on some new growth by bumping up the volume. So we can switch to doing a higher volume training program. And again, this can provide unique muscle stimulation and help to take your training to, a, to that next level. So your body will go through the adapt, grow, and plateau process to this high volume workout. Well, once you've hit a plateau with that, then, you know, you can change it up again. So then at that stage, if you switch to, say, like a lower volume, more high intensity training, you know, probably training to failure or incorporating high intensity training techniques like, uh, you know, forced reps or negatives or, or drop sets or something like that then that again provides unique muscle stimulation and can help take your workouts to a higher level again. And you'll go through that whole adapt, grow, plateau process. And then eventually you'll hit a plateau with that workout and then you can just change it up. And this is going on all the time. And it's part of the reason why there's so much confusion out there with regards to workout programs because you'll follow somebody and they'll say, well, this is the workout I'm doing and this is what's working for me and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll follow someone else and then they're saying they're doing something totally different, but they're still making progress. And it's because every workout program, to some degree, will produce results. It all goes through, again, the adapt, grow, plateau. And it depends on where you are in your training and what program you're following at that particular time. So that's why you'll see some people following high-volume workouts making great progress. And you see some people doing uh, high-intensity workouts making great progress. It all comes down to what's unique muscle stimulation and what's ideal for you at this time. You know, there, there's no perfect workout program. It's just like, what is the ideal program for you at this time? And a little trick that personal trainers and strength coaches and everybody else will use when working with new clients is, uh, let, let's just say, you know, you, you, you come to a, you, you hire a trainer, obviously they're going to get you to tell them about, uh, they want to know about your past training history, so they'll want to find out, okay, what kind of workouts have you been following, what kind of diet have you been following, everything else. And a simple strategy that uh, strength coaches will use is once they find out whatever it is you've been doing up until this point that is no longer working for you, they'll just change it up and like do the opposite. So if you come to them and say, hey, I've been doing this high volume workout program, but it's not working for me anymore, I need to stimulate some new muscle growth, then they might change it up and have you do a high intensity program that's totally opposite of what you've been doing up to that point. And just the fact that you're doing new workouts and totally unique muscle stimulation will help to provide you know, new growth. And again, you'll go through that adapt, grow, plateau phase with this new program.
And then once that happens, then you might change it up and do something totally different. And this is the basis for the, the Total Fitness Bodybuilding Inner Circle. This is my membership site. And the way the program works is we have a workout of the month program. And every single month I provide unique workouts. And these programs are built uh, to complement the previous month's program. So like one month we may do a high volume traditional bodybuilding program. The next month we may do a higher intensity strength power training program. You know, the next month we may do a conditioning type program and alternate them, you know, going through different styles of training every single month. Now, the idea of the workout of the month program, I mean, some people like to switch every single month, but uh, a lot of people will actually pick a program and follow it until their results actually plateau. Because uh, we all have different work capacities and different fitness levels and everything else, and we will hit plateaus at different rates. I mean, generally speaking, the more advanced you are in your training, the faster you're going to hit a plateau. And the more uh, the beginners and people who are less experienced can generally stick to a program for longer before their body hits a plateau. But uh, you know, a good general guideline for most average people is somewhere in that six to eight week range. If you follow a workout program consistently for six to eight weeks, uh, your body is probably going to go through adapt, grow, plateau, and that would probably be a good time to change it up and provide yourself with some unique muscle stimulation. So that's my opinion on the different styles of training. I mean, they all have advantages. And again, it's, it's not that one is better or worse. It's just what's the ideal training program for you at this stage in your training. All right. Well, I'm going to clue it up, guys. Again, thanks for tuning in to our live video chat, and I hope to do many more of these live streaming video chats. Uh, so uh, keep your eyes open. I uh, like I say, I'll, I'll try and get into the habit of doing these at least one a week, and probably even more. But this was my initial test run. So again, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sending in your questions, because of course, without you sending in questions, there wouldn't be a live video Q and A. So have yourself a fantastic day, have yourself a great weekend, and I will talk to you during our next live video chat. Take care, over and out. And so